Welcome into another episode of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Frischner, Rick Broing with you. We are live over Twitter spaces, taking your calls all night long. Great to be with everybody fresh off the heels of the last Sean Miller radio show of the season. Thanks to everybody who has listened to all of these so far. We've gotten a lot of great feedback, so we've kept doing them here on these Monday nights at 8 o'clock. And everybody listening later, appreciate all of you listening. Apple, Spotify, wherever you've been tuned in, subscribe to the podcast throughout the season. Let's get you updated on where we are. It's Monday, February 27th. Xavier is 18th in Ken Palm right now as I record this. Today, they would drop three spots to 19th in the AP poll. As we record this now, they are also the last four seed on Bracket Matrix after an update today. Xavier's 25th in the net. They have five quad one wins, but three wins in quad two are five spots away from being a quad one win or within five spots at Cincinnati, at Villanova, and at Seton Hall are all within five spots of becoming quad one wins. And funny enough, there is a chance that on Wednesday night, Xavier gets a quad one win either way because Xavier could beat Providence. That would be a quad one win. Or if Xavier loses to Providence, there's a chance that the Providence win, the Xavier win over Providence at Cintas ends up becoming a quad one win by virtue of uh, Providence jumping up in the net rankings. So you know, it's, it's an interesting week. There's a lot of moving parts here as we get into the last week of the regular season. Going to talk about what Xavier has done in the past week, a one-point loss to Villanova. Justin Moore had an incredible game at Cintas. Villanova squeaks it out 64-63. to And then maybe Xavier's most dominant win of the season on Friday night against a high major opponent. Xavier beats Seton Hall 82-60 to at the Prudential Center. And it was it was pretty close. I had the tweet sitting there in the drafts, and I it never saw the light of day. If Sule Boom had hit that last three, or if Elijah Tucker had made that layup, would have ended up being Xavier's largest uh, margin of victory against a Big East opponent since realignment. But nevertheless, didn't didn't go in, and Seton Hall came down, hit a three. Xavier only won by 22 in that game. But even though Xavier is coming off those three losses in four games, they win that game against Seton Hall. All the metrics, everything seems to be pointed in the right direction. If you Look at Bart Torvik. They're in the top 30 in both offense and defensive efficiency over the last month. Things are pointed in the right direction, Rick, and you can't help if you're a Xavier fan but be encouraged by everything I just said here to lead things off. Where do you think uh, Xavier sits now heading into the last week of the regular season? Well, we've been talking about this on the message board. I think we might have even touched on it in last week's podcast, but I think – At first, you lose that game at home against Villanova, and it feels bad, and it's a quad three loss, and it doesn't look good. But if you looked at the NCAA Selection Committee reveal show that took place last Saturday, uh, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before that, you saw that they really valued big road wins over anything else. And if Xavier turned around after the Villanova game and got a big quad one road win at Seton Hall, I think it undid a lot of the damage that was done by that the loss to Villanova. And that's exactly what they did. They took it to Seton Hall. In fact, so much so that they knocked Seton Hall out of quad one range, knocked it down to a, a quad two win for the time being. But I think if you look at what the bracketologists have done with Xavier since this weekend, what I said remains true. I, most Xavier or most uh, bracketologists have Xavier still as a 
four or five seed. And if you look right now at bracket matrix, Xavier is currently sitting as that last four seed, same as they were two Saturdays. Yeah. And if you look at where Xavier is on bracket matrix too, most of the brackets, uh, you know, right now they're sitting as the last four seed and they're averaged. I mean, we are really getting into the weeds here, but their, their, their average seed is 4.4. Well, if you really scroll and you see when these brackets were submitted, most of the brackets that were submitted today have them as a four seed. So, you know, as this week has gone on and as some of those weekend results came in, it, the, the loss to Villanova was not as damaging from a, you know, a, a resume perspective as maybe some people might have thought it was where that's a game that Xavier definitely should have won at home. They had it won for most of the game, but then slipped away there at the end. How, how nervous um, – does a loss like that make you, Rick, when you look at how that second half went down and how Xavier lost that game? Well, I mean, we talked about it after, right after that game is when we did our last podcast, correct? Didn't oh, we wait till... Right. I, I forgot we've already talked the, about that. You're right. Yeah, yeah so, but I mean, I, I only say that to bring up the fact that you're exactly right in the sense that there was a lot of fans after that game when we talked that felt like this season could be heading towards another complete meltdown. And I just don't think that's accurate because of the resume that Xavier has built to yeah. this point already. It was the season was never in the same spot as last season, even if you could point to similar records at different points or similar Ken Palm numbers late in the season or anything like that. The resume was still different from early on in the season. It had just been a different season in that regard in terms of the wins that Xavier's had and not racking up the losses. So I think that Xavier has been in a better spot even since the Villanova loss than a lot of people felt like and showing that they could get a 22 point win on the road at Seton hall definitely calmed down a lot of the fears or nervousness from Xavier. Nation. Yeah. And I had a, like, I had responded on Twitter and you know, people were asking, is this a collapse? Is this a collapse? And yeah, to your point, Rick, I'm not going to sit here and say that three losses by a combined four points is a collapse. It's just not, I mean, you played Sean Miller just talked about it on his radio show. You played, your, maybe your worst half of the season in that first half at Butler. And you lose to a Villanova team that has Justin Moore back. And, oh, by the way, Villanova just absolutely dismantled Creighton. At the, end of, the final score ended up being 12, but it felt like it was a whole lot more than that at home at Wells Fargo on, uh, on, on Saturday. And now all of a sudden you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, well, you lose three games by a combined four points. That's not the same as – you know, I texted you yesterday. Yeah, you know, yesterday was the one-year anniversary of that loss against Seton Hall at Cintas, which I will forever say was the lowest moment that that building has ever experienced. Just the atmosphere, the loss, everything about that loss was ugly. And now to see where this program is, 365 days later, coming off of that win against Seton Hall, it's just it's just a complete 180. Yeah, I, so I think. The Seton Hall game put that whole narrative to rest, though. Is there going to be another meltdown? Is this team really more like last year's team than anyone realized all along? I think the Seton Hall game put that to rest. I think the Seton Hall game really kind of put another narrative to rest, too. And that was after the Villanova game, I got a lot of blowback and pushback on the C told you these guys are too tired. You can't play with a short bench. You need more depth. And th there are a couple things going on there. One, when I've mostly been doing most of my comments about I'm not concerned about Xavier's depth, we were talking about having seven players available. 
That was when they had Zach Fremantle healthy. That was when Desmond Claude was fully healthy. So it was a little bit of a different situation than a couple of games ago when they were down to five players. So that was different to begin with. But there's also some conflation going on between lack of players available to play minutes and lack of talent on your bench. Xavier has more of the latter problem than they do the former. I mean, yes, they aren't playing a lot of guys off the bench. But again, I don't think that's as nearly as big of a concern as they don't have enough talent at times when they do go to their bench or when Zach Fremantle isn't available for them. So I think what you've seen since Zach Fremantle has left is not so much that they've been exhausted and can't finish these games like they, they did against Villanova when they had a bad second half. But it's more that their margin for air is so much smaller when they don't have a guy like Zach available. They really have to play great basketball to win these Big East games. And in some cases, they've been able to do that. I think you saw the Providence overtime win. They played pretty well in that game in their first game without Zach. Then you had the St. John's and DePaul games, which you expect them to play well and win those games, but they played really well in both of those. And then the Seton Hall game was another example and really the most impressive example of them going on the road and playing really good basketball without Zach Fremantle. So to me, that's a lot more of what this is about at this point for this team is can they show up and play not necessarily flawless, but really damn good basketball without Zach Fremantle, because that's what it's going to take for them the rest of the way. I don't think it's as much about these guys aren't getting enough rest and they're just not going to be able to last. Yeah, John Rothstein reported earlier that, uh, this morning that Zach Fremantle, the quote was, could begin practicing during the middle of this week. When I see could begin practicing, and this is purely me having you know, kind of interpreted this tweet, could begin practicing means let's just see if he's available for the first round of the Big East tournament. Do you think maybe he gets a few minutes against Butler? Well, I mean, also, let's let's talk about what that means. I mean, saying that Zach Freeman was going to practice in the middle of this week, they played Providence on Wednesday. Yeah. So Tuesday isn't going to be a practice. It's going to be a walkthrough. You're going to play Wednesday. Thursday is probably going to be mostly a day off or a film and maybe a little bit of walkthrough, stretching, shooting, something like that. And then you have Friday, which is going to be a walkthrough before the Saturday game against Butler with a short turnaround, especially with the short bench. They're not going through any real strenuous activities or real types of practices here. So will Zach Freeman will be back with them for that. Yeah, I mean, maybe after the Providence game, they're going to bring him back into the mix and, and really try to get him a couple minutes against Butler. But this whole like he's going to be back in in practice this week is kind of misleading, in my opinion, because there's really not going to be a lot of practicing going on. Yeah, yeah. So now at this point, you feel like he, maybe you come back, you play a few minutes, you take some of those bench minutes, you know, you take 10 minutes, maybe on a Thursday night at Madison Square Garden. Maybe you get 10 minutes in a game, you get a few rebounds, you score a few points here and there, but we're not talking about a situation where he's going to immediately come back into the game and, and play 30 minutes and score 20 points. Well, I don't think that's fair, Paul. I don't, I don't think we know that. I mean, I, just, I really don't think we know what's going to happen when Zach comes back or if he comes back. Like, I see a lot of people saying that, but I just don't know that that's true. Like, it, he was playing 30 minutes on this injury before he sat down. True. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so, like, I don't right. know that we know that he's going to come back. Like, if he's coming back and he feels good enough to play, my guess is he's not going to risk it for 10 minutes a game. 
Now, maybe his conditioning won't allow him to play more than that, or maybe he'll struggle when he gets back. But like, I just don't think it's fair to say that we know anything about what Zach's going to look like when he comes back or what his role is. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I guess I just, you you feel like sometimes when these injuries linger like that, you you ease them back. But then again, at this point in the season, you know, where are you easing somebody in when you're playing on Thursday night at Madison Square Garden in the first round of the Big East tournament? Well, and and the other part of that is, does Zach want to risk coming back and going through this for a couple of minutes. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he would. No, I think he, if he comes back, he wants to come back and contribute. So again, it's all up in the air. I don't have any real insight or, or great insider information to add to it really, but I just hesitate to say, Oh, when he gets back, he's only going to be available for 10 minutes. Cause we really don't. Yeah, know. no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, do you want to talk about the Big East tournament now? Do you have anything more there with Zach that you want to talk about? You know, it's it's going to be obviously the storyline of the season going in. And I think one of the things that you could be looking at here with these, it's like, okay, is he going to practice? Is he going to play or not? And it's all kind of vague. What Xavier could be making sure is that the NCAA selection committee is hearing that Zach is going to be back. Yeah. Because if that's the case and they expect Zach to be back and then you look at what Xavier's done without him here over the last six or so games, then you take that with a grain of salt and you factor in that, well, Zach Freeman wasn't available for those games and they lost against Villanova, but he will be back at some point for the tournament. And that, that will change how they view Xavier's resume potentially. So I think that could be a part of this too. And you have to factor that in that maybe we won't be seeing Zach before the end of the regular season. Maybe this is all more, a narrative to sell the selection. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I actually had somebody ask me the, yesterday or the day before what, uh, how, how much, because they were asking about Justin Moore, how much does you know an injury play into the NCAA tournament selection process? And you know, I think Villanova is too far out. I, I, I think that they probably are too far out of this to get an at-large spot at this point. They got to win the Big East tournament. But then it, in my follow-up sentence, I'm thinking, well, you know, Zach Fremantle, he's been out for a while, and look at what they've done. They've played in close games. They beat Providence. They beat Seton Hall. You know, th- those are significant wins for Xavier that they have won without Fremantle. So you put them back in the lineup, and then the selection committee, they, they do whatever they do. They use that information however they might, but they do definitely take that into account, or at least they say they do. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they got, they got some of those big wins, but they've also taken three of their five Big East losses. Yeah without Freeman on the court. So you factor out those Butler and Villanova losses where you look at them a little bit more kindly because Zach wasn't available and that changes Xavier's resume a lot. So again, I think Xavier right now is pretty similar to where they were when the selection committee revealed the top 16 seeds and they were number 16 overall. I think if you did it again today, they'd be somewhere between 15th and 17th. I don't think much has changed. So um, there's not a lot of fluctuation there, but as far as the whole Zach Fremantle thing goes, I do think that's a big yep. part of it. Looking ahead toward this week, there's a big game tomorrow night. Villanova does play Seton Hall tomorrow night, and that game is basically the the six and seven spots in the Big East tournament are going to be Villanova and Seton Hall. It's, it's one or the other. They are locked into those two spots, which means that they will be playing on Thursday night and assuming they don't get upset by DePaul or Georgetown in the first round, Xavier would meet one of those two on Thursday night at Madison Square Garden. The Xavier and Providence game on Wednesday night is basically for the two seed in that tournament. If Xavier wins one game, they'll, I mean, it's pretty much 
I mean, 92% for all you math whizzes out there. Xavier's going to play on Thursday night. If anybody's looking to buy tickets, you know, buy your session tickets if you're going to New York, whatever it might be. Um, but one win for sure gets Xavier there. Xavier and Providence are battling it out for the two seed right now in the Big East. And I think it would be, as as you look at the bracket, actually CBS Sports Network, I'm watching the women's game right now. The, the bracket is on TV. Um, the, uh, the bracket would have Xavier right now potentially playing the winner of that Seton Hall and um, DePaul game. That would be, you know, Seton Hall on Thursday and then potentially the Providence and Villanova winner on Friday night. That would probably be the most ideal path for Xavier in this Big East tournament. I think that's the way most Xavier fans are feeling, especially after seeing that matchup against Seton Hall this past weekend. I mean, they're different without Kadari Richmond, obviously, and I think he'll be back at, at some point, right? We don't know that that's an extended injury for him. Yeah. The back yeah, issue. Yeah. In fact, I saw somebody questioning whether he would play tomorrow, which makes me think if he's going to play tomorrow. And I don't know if he is going to play tomorrow, but I saw somebody was asking about it. I, I don't, I don't get the impression he's going to be out forever, but I could be wrong. Yeah, same. And so he makes a huge difference for them, especially against Xavier. You saw that in the first matchup, but he was their leading scorer, second leading scorer in that first game. So uh, he's, he makes a big difference. So I would caution you a little bit about getting too carried away with this most recent game against Seton Hall and thinking that's a great matchup. But at the end of the day, it's still probably as good of a well, matchup as you yeah, can ask and, for, for Xavier. And I mean, not to cut you off, but that kind of goes back to our, whatever we did our last show Wednesday night. It's like, you got to play somebody, you know, like, yeah, exactly. There's like, you can't, you can't just sit here and not play Like you got to play somebody. And if you're going to play somebody, I, you would much rather have the Creighton, UConn and Marquette type teams all on the other side of the bracket and let them all fight it out. And then maybe you, you win a couple of games and see the, the winner of those three on Saturday night. But um, yeah, if you're asking about what the most ideal scenario is right now, Villanova is as hot as they can be. They would be on Xavier's side. But other than that, you look at a Providence team that Xavier matches up pretty well with. You look at a Seton Hall team. Well, you just saw what happened with Seton Hall. And again, like you said, without Kadari Richmond, it's, it's a different looking team, but either way, that's about as ideal as you could get for Xavier. So yeah. So, so if you're, if you're talking about the the Seton Hall and Villanova matchup tomorrow night, um, it I, I guess there's there's not you know people I get people saying you know who do we root for who do, who do you want to win well it doesn't doesn't necessarily matter who wins that because you know it, you'd you'd have a better idea after Xavier and Providence because then you would know going into uh, going into the weekend whether you know Providence and Seton Hall play each other on Saturday and and. Villanova plays UConn on Saturday. So it's not like those teams are, it's not like they have walks in the park. You know, Creighton plays DePaul, Xavier has Butler. So it's it's not like those teams are are just getting the the lower tier teams in the Big East. They still have big tests on on Saturday too. But that is how it's shaping up. Xavier's going to be at 7 or 9.30 on Thursday night at MSG. They're not going to have to play on Wednesday night, which I know is a, a major sigh of relief. There is no... Hear me now. There is no possible way that Xavier plays on Wednesday. Don't nobody has to worry about that. So that's the Big East tournament from my perspective. Anything else on that, Rick? As we go into the last week of the regular season? No, I think uh, let's let's look at the matchups coming up to end the season, and also load them up in terms yeah. of calls. If you've got calls, we'll take them on anything right now. We can get into any of the stuff we just talked about, or any other questions that you guys may have. 
about the Providence game, the Butler game, um, Zach Fremantle stuff, anything you guys want to get in here with, let's uh, go ahead and take it. And, and before we even go any farther, let's go ahead and take this call yeah, from Adam Baum right I, off the top. I, Gentlemen. There we are. How are you, Adam? Hey, B, what's good. up? I just, I just wanted to set the stage for you for, for Wednesday's game. So tomorrow, Providence is going to get four to eight inches of snow. On Wednesday, oh, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> on Wednesday, the temperature is going to go up to 53 degrees. That rain is going to turn into snow. The snow is going to turn into rain. Uh, the snow is going to turn into rain. I'm sorry. So yep. we're looking at a potential Armageddon situation again this year. You better, How's that roof? They got yeah. those bands you know? going now. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the setting, the scene could not be more perfect for this to completely happen again. Ed Cooley's going to be up on top of the dunk tomorrow with a shop just... vac trying to get <laughs> condensational. <laughs> no, I was just I was looking at uh, the weather in Providence and I, I saw that and I was like, oh, my God. A.B., what's your take on this whole Zach Fremantle situation? Yeah, I mean it's it's complicated because Zach is kind of like a wild card in all of this you know um I just don't I don't particularly know like if he comes back he's like you said it to me it's not going to be a situation where he's going to want to come back and be like oh we're going to play you at 10 minutes a game we're going to keep starting Jerome like if he comes back he's going to want to play He's going to want to start. He's going to want to play starters minutes and all that good stuff. And I don't know. I mean, the, to me, this is kind of uh, one of the weirder things that that's happened late in the season since I've started covering the team in terms of like, he's one of your most important players and you really don't know if he's going to be around or what, to what degree he's going to be around in the most important month of the season. So it, there's just the, this huge unknown surrounding the whole thing right now. Adam, do you get the sense that behind the scenes, they all have a good feeling of what's going to happen with this, and they're just trying to you know, keep that under wraps and understandably so because it is sensitive and there's a competitive edge involved and there's obviously the NCAA selection committee involved and all of those things? Or do you think that everybody inside the building re- right now is really clueless about what to expect. I I don't I wouldn't go as far as to say that they're clueless. I would say that they're more optimistic about the path that this is going to take. And um I, I think you guys kind of touched on it like Rothstein's report today basically like if you if you could start practicing in the middle of the week that basically means that you're not going to be available for Providence. I don't think anyone is necessarily shocked by that news. Um the question now becomes like Okay, if he is going to start practicing, number one, he needs to test it and see how it feels, see how comfortable it is, do some running, do some jumping, do all those things that that he's going to be asked to do in a live game setting. And then if that feels good, the question is, okay, we're going to hopefully throw him out there against Butler, see how it feels, see if he can get his feet wet a little bit, and then you kind of go from there. But to me, this all hinges on – when they first roll him back out there in practice, how does it feel? If right. if he has any apprehension about it, if it doesn't feel right, well, that could put the kibosh on the whole thing right there, and it could be the end of the story. So I think I think that they're optimistic, but 
I don't I wouldn't go as far to say that they they don't have any sense of how this is going to go. I think that I think there is a sense of the way that they hope it goes and the way that they're kind of planning for it to go. Let me throw something out for both of you that I wanted to talk about. How much of Xavier's enhanced defensive play is personnel related? This, you know, the fact that they're playing more Jerome Hunter and more Desmond Claude and less Zach Fremantle. And how much is overall improvement as a team just through the sheer force and repetition of Sean Miller every day in practice? They've just gotten better at this. Go ahead, well, Paul. I, was, I, I missed your voice. <laughs> I, I, I lean more toward the latter, Rick. I mean, I think you do have better defensive personnel out there just by the fact that Jerome is getting more minutes. But I, I just think the more and more you, if you go back on Ken Palm and you look at a typical Sean Miller team and, and its defensive rankings through the years, like even you think back to any the first time Sean Miller was at Xavier, and I know most people listening to this would know that, but maybe some of the some of the people that just you know started following Xavier recently might not know that. Like a, a Sean Miller team is a tough defensive minded team that now here this year after his year off. You look at their offensive numbers, and that's what he has talked so much about is that he spent his year in between coaching focusing on how to improve his offense. But Sean Miller's teams, they weren't always you know, UVA. They weren't, they weren't number one, but they were always tough. They were always grinded out, tough-minded, solid defensive teams. And as the seasons went on, they would get better. And now you're seeing that this year. And I kept thinking to myself throughout the season, like they're not going to be – sub 100 all season long they might not be 40th but they're not going to be 102nd throughout the whole season and february 15th they were 102nd and now all of a sudden they're they're just around the top 75 and that's you know when you, when you look at teams there's that classic stat that you know every team that's made the final four since 2002 is you know top 40 in both ken palm offense and defense well they're not overall top 40 because they had a miserable start to the year defensively but they're 30th in both categories over the last month, and that's when it matters. So I would, I would go back more toward, you know, some of the matchups have been better too. You know, you look at Providence, Seton Hall, some of those matchups have been better. True. But Seton Hall, that was the lowest, those were the, that was the fewest points Xavier has allowed against a high major opponent this year, 60. The only team that scored less, I think, was Southern. They had 59. So just just through sheer repetition to get back to your point, Rick, I, I, I that's where I would lean. But uh, th- those are my thoughts. Yeah, and I I would tend to agree. I would also say like, and this could just be me watching the game live and maybe maybe not noticing it as much. But like, I don't notice Sule getting getting sort of abused as much recently. I feel like Adam Kunkel has been more lively and more engaged on defense. I think that's um, a big one. Yeah. And then the, the other thing I was thinking about as you asked your question was, how many times have we now seen lineups where Xavier has Colby Jones, Jerome Hunter, and Desmond Claude on the floor together? Yep. Those, are, those, are mo- those are your three best defensive players. And so I think that we've seen more of that recently, which has definitely contributed to it. But also you go back the the month without Fremantle, okay, there have been two, in my opinion, there have been two performances that were like they got they got it handed to them by an individual. And that was Justin Moore and that was uh, Noah Locke for Providence. Outside of that, 
no one no one has really gone off on Xavier, um, unless I'm completely mistaken and I'm forgetting a very obvious one. But for the last month, they they played two games where it was like a a dude on the other team really made made them pay, made their defense pay. And that was like there was a stretch earlier in the year where it was like every single game that they were playing, someone was abusing them offensively. And it's just to, to me, that's kind of been a big turnaround in that they're not letting one dude just destroy them the way that they were previously. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point, Adam. You're dead on about that. And that's something that certainly stands out about the last six games is not letting an individual just absolutely torch them and have a career performance. Cause that's been a problem, not just this season, but going back the last few seasons Primo. and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was before um, Zach went out. I was just talking yeah, about, yeah, that. I know what you mean. So obviously it's, it's some of both. I mean, yeah. it's that that's the fact that they are playing better lineups that are conducive to better defense more often. And it's also that, They've gotten better as a team overall, and Sean Miller is really good at coaching defense, and he's going to demand them to be better. But I think one thing that is maybe missed is that it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like them finding out that they're better defensively with these other lineups where they play, like Hunter and and Jones and Claude all together at the same time, they're not going to lose that when Zach comes back. Yeah, You can still play those lineups together more often if you want. And maybe Zach slides down to the five and Jack comes out or, or vice versa. You know, like there are still ways to get this lineup on the floor in key moments when you need it. And I don't know if they had those answers for key defensive moments earlier in the season. So whether or not it's they've figured this out through playing better personnel more or it's because they've gotten better as a team, I think it all equates to they're just better, period, and they'll be better even when Zach comes back, too. I would agree with that. Good stuff. Well, yeah. guys, I appreciate your thoughts on both of those topics. Adam, do you got anything else for us that stood out about the uh, last couple games or the last week? No. Um, I mean, the, the end of the Seton Hall game was just so much fun. I feel like we, we could devote a whole hour to that. Um, so that that was the last thing I wanted to say. Well, when is the... let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not buying that Shaheen Holloway was all bent out of shape over Xavier shooting a three-pointer with their starters in while up by that much. I'm just not buying that's what that was about. No, I think there's something deeper um, at play in all of this. And I don't have like all of the information and right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like draw conclusions, but I think that you know, if you know anything about Shaheen Holloway and where he's from, I think he's probably loyal and has some allegiances to to people. And I don't know. I think that, that maybe he's not the biggest Sean Miller fan before all of this started. I, so, Yeah, I mean, like, I, yeah. Shaheen Holloway is a New York guy. And yeah. I don't know the rest of his background. I don't even know his AAU involvement, if he's a New York Gauchos guy or not. But – Rasheen Davis certainly is. I know his background pretty well. I know Rasheen pretty well. He's a New York Gauchos guy. He has connections to Book Richardson. So my assumption is that Shaheen Holloway is involved through that somehow too. And like you said, Adam, I don't know exactly what was going on there or what the details are of all the connections, but I have a feeling Shaheen Holloway went into that game wanting to have some antics and and put that on display and, and the opportunity arose. Yeah, because there's no way that a dude who played college basketball, who's coached in it for as long as Shaheen Holloway has, 
is that naive to be like, oh, well, we're going to continue pressing you and continue <laughs> yeah. going for steals. And then I'm going to get really upset when your offense shoots a three in the midst of all that. Like with, with a 10 second differential between the shot clock and the game clock. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's like, we're supposed to take a turnover while you're pressing us <laughs> on a shot clock violation while you're pressing. That makes absolutely and, no and, sense. And I mean, it's a, it's an insane thing to act like. Just to upset. be clear for the, for people that are listening that might not know what we're talking about. Rasheen Davis is an assistant coach on Seton Hall staff. That was also at Xavier. If you remember way back when, and was, yeah, with Chris at, Mack. at Xavier with Chris and and Book, right? No, they, no, no, no. Book they, never they was with Chris. Times. That was with Sean. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Book was with, always with Sean. Okay. Um, Rasheen Davis was later with Chris, and then Rasheen's bounced around all over the place. Um, he's been at VCU. He was at St. Peter's with Sheen Holloway. Now wasn't he's he at, at St. Paul with Sheen Holloway. Wasn't he at Pitt too? I believe he was at Pitt. He's been a, he's been several different okay. places. I, I yeah, he was at Manhattan. The timeline lined up, but I knew that he and Xavier and Book and everybody had a connection there. And here's the other thing, Rick, that you spoke about earlier is that everyone and their brother now knows that the the committee and all these people who who compile the net and all these metrics, what do they like? They like it when you can go on the road and win games. If you can go on the road and, and win a game by 30 points against a high major Division One opponent, then you then you do that because it looks better than if you sub out and you put all your walk-ons in. And maybe that 30-point lead dwindles down to 15 or 14. It doesn't look nearly as good. So, like, the idea that that there's this this unspoken rule that, oh, you, you should not keep your foot on the gas or keep trying to score, like, that's completely out the window in today's college well, I, basketball. Like you, I just don't – there was time on the shot clock. It's not like the shot yeah. clock was off and he just threw it up with 20 seconds left for no reason. Like, Zebra had to take a shot. Yeah. And I mean, you'll see teams do that occasionally where they'll take a shot clock violation because they have a huge lead, but they're not getting pressured by the other team in the backcourt, not midcourt. You're not trying to steal the ball away from them. And usually it's not a 10 second differential. It's like, you know, there's a two to three second differential and you're like, oh, we're not going to take a shot with five seconds left and a two second differential. So, I mean, I, I get all of that, but yeah, I mean. There's just no reasonable explanation for you to be upset about what Xavier did in that scenario. And like Baum said, getting upset about that sportsmanship type stuff is completely out the window in today's game because of what the coaches have asked for. The rules that have been passed and the fact that the net exists and there are now uh, predictive metrics and advanced tempo free stuff that are in there like Ken Palm. You want to win by as many points as possible. There's no longer... We're just going to go ahead and put all our walk-ons in with two and a half minutes and and let you make a 12-0 run. Yep. Rick, when's the Horizon League? That starts uh, actually tomorrow night for the first-round games. NKU got a first-round bye, so their first game is on Thursday night. They will host Oakland. You want to go, Adam? Nice. I think I'm going to go. You want to go? <laughs> Well, let's, uh, we'll see what we'll see how my uh, my travel getting home from Providence. Oh, yeah. Is, hopefully so. it's a little better than the last trip. Yeah. Or, you guys should. I'll show you a good time at Max Pizza Pub afterwards. Actually, yeah. Paul, text me. I might. I might be down to All do right. that. All right. Sounds good. All right. All right. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I'll let some more some more callers on here. Thanks, Adam. AB, appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right. Let's go to uh, Ian here. Featherstone. Ricky B, Paulie Fritz. How are you, boys? Fantastic. How are you? What's going on? I am good. Thanks for asking. Um. Hey, so also, sorry, I, I feel like I requested really early. Like, my bad. I just had a thought about the whole Zach Fremantle thing, uh, which is kind of what my question revolves around. 
But so hold on real quick, real quick. Let me let me clarify this. There are no rules to this. When you guys hear something you want to get in on, you request in and we'll talk about it. I like that you did hey, that. Fair enough. I respect. You know, I'm not I'm not big on the spaces. I've been trying to get more into spaces, but I'm still kind of whole new to this whole space thing. So uh but so anyways, kind kind of a two-part question here. Um and the first leads into the second. So realistically, obviously best case scenario is Xavier wins against uh, Providence and then wins against Butler. And then obviously again, best case scenario, they run the table and win Madison square garden. Even if all that were to happen, what realistically seed would you see Xavier getting in March madness? Which then leads to my next question, depending on what the risk of that is, is it necessarily even worth it? If he's not a hundred percent to bring Zach back for the big East tournament. Rick, go ahead. First of all, I don't know how much they can raise their seed line. I, a lot of it's obviously going to depend on what the other teams above them would do in that scenario. So uh, could they jump a handful of them if they run the table the rest of the way? Maybe. I could see them getting up towards one of the top three seed lines. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know, Paul. Do you think they can get up to well, a two? I, I wish I had the article in front of me because I got asked this at Chatterbox today, too, on the show, and I, I, I don't have the stat to back it up. Um, but basically, there is a stat that kind of talks about the committee and the NCAA tournament and how they value conference tournament wins, and they don't value the conference. Tu- they much. don't value conference tournament wins as much as the average fan thinks that they do. So I would say that the absolute – I just don't know if Xavier can get to the two line only because I look at the teams that Xavier would have to jump to get there, and I just don't know if Xavier can jump all of those teams because – might they have a resume for a two line? Sure, but at this point, I just don't think they could get there. Could they get the top three seed? Maybe. But because here's the other thing too. You know, it's not like it's – it's not like you're you're going to win – um, because uh, yeah, would they be? Would that be a quad? One? No, it wouldn't be. So you'd be talking about a quad two game against Seton Hall, probably at MSG. A quad three game against Butler. So you would you you're you're looking at probably three quad one games the rest of the way. And assuming you win them all, is that enough to get you up two full seed lines to a two seed? I, I just don't think so. Yeah, I mean you're you're not jumping teams like Houston, Bama. Probably not UCLA, Purdue, Kansas. I mean, so I mean, really, when you start getting through there, you're really talking about basically a couple of the three seeds you feel like Xavier could jump, yeah, like, and like, and maybe if some of the two seeds fall down a little bit, you you got a chance at them. But I think it's it's mostly three or four. Yeah, percent. like and not to harp on the same point here that you just made, Rick, but. Like right now, I'm just totally going by bracket matrix. Could Xavier jump Virginia? Sure. UConn, maybe if they have a bad week. Indiana, I don't know. They just beat Purdue. They swept Purdue in the season series. Gonzaga, probably not if they win the West Coast. Marquette, they, they're the Big East regular season champion. Tennessee, they haven't been playing all that well, but are they going to drop two seed lines? And then you have Kansas State out of the Big 12. I mean, that's asking a lot to have Xavier jump all of those teams, you know, to get to the top of the three line. But could Xavier be a protected seed? In, in the three or four spot, uh, absolutely. I, in fact, I would lean more that they will be on. If you're asking me right now, I think Xavier will be a four. Um, I do too. I, I just think that that's the way it ends up. I think Xavier will end up being a four. Me too. And what was the second part of the question that we were supposed to answer? 
So the second part, again, was then how worth it, assuming, you know, obviously he's not going to be 100% right when he comes back. What is, you know, what is the risk and how worth it is it to play Zach in the Big East tournament then? So, again, some of this we just don't know. Like, we're not sure how much damage could be done by him coming back. Maybe he's not in much danger of doing farther damage or putting the rest of his career at risk. Maybe it's more of just a pain tolerance thing. We don't have the answers to that. So I can't answer it with any sort of definity, but I, I think from, from a Xavier perspective, is it worth it? Yeah, I think it is because if you get him back for the Big East tournament, at least you can show the selection committee. See, we told you he was coming back. He's back. Now look at those last six games or, or last eight games without him a little bit differently than you otherwise might. Yep. All right. Ian, is that boy? Well, hey, uh, yeah, that 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 covers uh, that covers my questions. Thanks for uh, chatting, boys. All right, thanks, Ian. All right, we're gonna go to uh, more fifty-one fifty. Go ahead. Hey, how's it going, fellas? How Thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. You guys do such a great job, both Rick and Paul. You guys are great. Thanks. Thank you. Hey, uh, I just wanted to uh, ask uh, your opinion about this. Um, you know, with the with the short bench that we have, uh, you know, with the with the Fremantle situation kind of up in the air. Um, I'm wondering whether or not. And I'm not saying they're going to throw a game so that they don't have to play anymore in the tournament or in the Big East tournament. But is it really going to be worth it for them to, after winning maybe the the first round game that they get to play, uh, going any further than that? I mean, is it's not. I don't. I don't really feel like. And from what you what you had said earlier, Paul, that you don't think that these these uh, games in the Big East tournament are really going to increase their their seed line uh, much. So. You know, is it really worth it? But I would, I, I'm thinking more so along the lines of, I would rather them rest more, uh, especially with some of the older guys that we have on this team. I mean, geriatric central for a for a couple of them. Uh, maybe have them rest for an extra couple of days instead of putting out all that energy to try to win that Big East tournament. I know it's a lot to ask of a. I'm, you're not going to ask Sean and the players to throw a game, but still. I'm not going to be upset if they, you know, win the first game that they play, whether it be against Villanova or Seton Hall, and then bow out after that. That's not it's not going to really bother me that much. What do you guys think? I think your point is a logical one. And I think I get both sides of the argument there that, hey, there's something to be said about having momentum, playing your best basketball at the right time of year. A lot of times you see teams that are playing the best in their conference tournaments. They go into the NCAA tournament and play well anecdotally. And then you, you look at the flip side of it, which is the argument you just brought up, with, which is, hey, you might be better off just getting some rest. You've seen teams bow out in the first round of their conference tournament and then go on and make a run in the NCAA tournament. That's happened too anecdotally. So to be quite honest with you, I don't put a whole lot of stock into either one. I think the team will go to New York with the intention of winning. I think Sean and the coaching staff will play to win. I don't think they're going to hold anything back or hold anyone out if uh, there's any reason not to. And they're going to go ahead and try to get themselves a Big East championship. At the same time, if I was a fan, would I be worried at all if they lost in the first round and, and got a little bit of a break? No, I wouldn't. I just don't think there's a huge advantage either way, to be honest. I think those storylines are usually overblown fan narratives more than anything else. 
Yeah, I, I guess the thing. The, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just gonna say the way the way that I look at it is, is the exact same as Rick. I mean, you're not gonna go to Madison Square Garden and throw a game. Obviously, that's just not gonna happen. They're gonna compete. They're they're going to go there. You know, this is a a tournament that if you you know if you want to get into the into the emotion of it, you know, Sean. Sean played in the Big East. Madison Square Garden means a lot to this team, to this program, and this is not a this is not a situation where they're going to go and rest anybody for the NCAA tournament because winning the Big East tournament and having that momentum heading into the NCAA tournament would certainly be a, a massive positive and also would help their seed. It's not to say that winning in the tournament doesn't do anything. I'm just saying you're not going to jump two full seed lines from a four to a two because you beat Providence and then, you know, Marquette at MSG on back-to-back nights. Now, if you were playing on Wednesday and you beat, you know, and you were the 10 seed and you beat Villanova, Providence, uh, you know, Villanova, Xavier, Providence, and then Marquette or UConn, and, you know, there you're talking about jumping from a 9 seed to a 7 seed maybe. 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 But... And for, it feels more meaningful if you're on the bubble, yeah. for sure. Like, if you're if you're Villanova here, and, and even Villanova might be a bad example because they're probably not in unless they win the tournament. But let's just say Villanova right now is the first team out. Them beating, you know, Providence, then Xavier, then UConn would do a whole lot more than Xavier just beating a, a quad two opponent in Seton Hall, then beating Providence, then beating whoever on, on Saturday night, resume-wise. But... On the flip side, Xavier's never won. No Midwest team, no Midwest team has ever won the Big East tournament since realignment. It's always been an East Coast team. So there, you look at Creighton, you look at Marquette, you look at Xavier. Those are three Midwest teams that have a chance to win it this year. And uh, I'm not going to say that they're thinking about that, but you don't go to MSG and have any intention of losing. Oh, no, I, I don't think that they have any – they would ever have any intentions of losing – I'm just not going to lose any sleep over it if they do, because I think that I don't know about you guys. Maybe I, I like I like to hear from your your uh, your viewpoint on this, too. Uh, Nungy looks tired, but but he's looked that way since he got here. Every single <laughs> game I've listened to Xavier fans say that. So, like, who cares? You know what I mean? You've been fine with that for two years now. I, it, it just I I have it's a buddy not getting of mine. Any worse. That, it's been the same. Yeah, I have a buddy of mine that says that he looks worse, and I I I, I was kind well, of on the fence well, on it. I was like, that, nah, is, that, you know is, sci- that is very scientific in that case. If your buddy says right. it, then screw it. I'm I'm in. Yeah, I, I was I I didn't agree with them. I was like, nah, you know what? He's always looked pale. So I mean, uh, I'm not I'm not really all that worried about about where he is. He's worried about his knees. You know, he, I mean, I I guess this is just the time to worry about it because you know we're so short when it comes to the players uh you know and uh and worrying about one of them get hurt guy when uh when jones went down uh against seton hall i you know that was just the biggest nightmares were flashing through my eyes or in my head thinking oh my god just another guy that's going to go down this this is just horrible uh you know and then he he went to the locker room and was like oh my god is, is he blow his knee out what's going on i mean just, all those thoughts just go through your head at this point because we are so short of players um that uh you know anything any 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 other injury that occurs to this team is just going to be nightmarish um, if it happens. So you know, you just you, you say a lot of rosaries before the <laughs> before the game to to make sure that it doesn't happen. Uh, not that, that not that Mary cares whether we win or not. Well, I know I know Father Murphy's saying I'm on the bench. I can promise you that. 
Yeah, plus Loyola Loyola already kind of has the uh, god angle well, covered with Sister, that old Sister bag Jean, they've got. Sister Jean picked Kentucky today to win the national title. Now that old oh, bag wow. doesn't know what she's saying at this point. She's almost dead. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Rick, right. holy cow. Step away. Just someone's getting struck by lightning. <laughs> All right. Hey, guys, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thanks for taking my call. Take you care. got it. All right. Yeah. Let's hear from Johnny. Sister Jean is the worst. Did you just say, come on, Rick? She's the oh, worst. Come on. Come on. The worst? That's strong. Terrible. <laughs> Johnny, got a uh, you got internet connection issues here, Johnny. Maybe it's on my end. We haven't had this issue in a few weeks. I'm not even seeing a Johnny right, on well, here, so I have no idea what we're talking about. All right, let's go to Cap here then, fellas. Cap, fellas, how's it going? So I heard the sister Jean talk, and I completely agree. You know, you've had your time. You're in your 90s, whatever. I think Rick is completely on point. I'm pretty I, sure wouldn't have, I wouldn't have said that live on the air like Rick did. But Sister Jean, the worst. Wow. I'm yeah. just not I'm just not going to be on the same side of that take. Yeah, but. this is not a Paul take because Paul has a future, Rick. Rick, you and I, we we drink <laughs> beers and we say dumb <laughs> That's not Paul's. That's not Paul's vibe. Paul's going to be. It's just honest. Hey, it's, it's just dude, honest. Get out of here. Go She's somewhere else. She's horrible. Why are you here? Yeah, who, but who cares? What does Thank she have to you. do with anything? Like we had, we she had her moment. They made yes. their run. Now get her off of my TV. I don't here. need to see her for years. We to don't come. care. You had your year. Get out of here. Yeah, get back in the convent. <laughs> You're not in uniform. Oh, I mean, it's the worst, Paul. And and Paul, you have to do because Paul, Rick, Paul is the the clean cut. No, yeah. I mean, we're in on Sister Rose. Well, Paul's whole Paul's whole. We're you in could, on Sister Rose, you aren't we? You could not find a co-host who is more opposite <laughs> of me to do this with. That's why it's great. <laughs> Paul is wholesome and nice and a good right, person. Genuinely. It, it, it's not, it's not yeah. an act. That's who Paul is. That's why we look yeah. so stupid, Rick, because we're genuinely <laughs> And I'm a worse version uh. of you, but – but just get out of here. And, and Sister Rose, but I feel like if the shoe was on the other foot, and let's say Xavier made some crazy run, Sister Rose wouldn't make it about herself, which is what Sister Jean did. Wow. Yeah. Real G's move in silence, and that's what Sister Rose does. You don't ever <laughs> see her out there doing a bunch of TV hits and being on the, the one shining moment video yes. 150 times when her team's not even involved. It's like, what are Sister we doing? Rose is lasagna. That G moves in silence. I'm going to get out of here, and and Rick, you're more – fellas, 903 some standard. It's going down. I'll get out of here. All right. All right, go ahead, Johnny. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sorry about before. Not sure what happened there. No uh, problem. I got two questions, if that's all right. Uh, sure. The first one, uh, two games left, right? Um, I was hoping maybe you guys could outline kind of the possible – Seating scenarios for Xavier, it seems like they would be, I think, the two or the three maybe in the Big East tournament. Uh, is it pretty much, like, I guess I'm not 100% sure who they'd play. I'm sure I could find that on the internet, but I figured I'd just ask since I'm yeah. here. I, I, will say, I, I will say Paul's already done the whole layout oh. earlier in the show, so Paul, give him the very yeah, uh, quick Xavier, version. Xavier will be the two or three seed, Johnny, and if you want, shoot me a DM, and I'll send you the uh, the link where you can play through my little simulator here. Oh, that, would, mine, be, but... that would be awesome, and I'll just listen to the recording for that. Uh, yeah, shoot, shoot me a DM, before. and I'll send you the link, and you can kind of plug and play with what needs to happen this week. 
Awesome. Thank you. And then uh, I guess my second question, uh, slightly off topic, maybe uh, just been seeing since the season's ending for the women's team as well. Uh, seems like that probably didn't go too well this year. Actually, uh, you know, you know, what's funny is as far as, the, as, as far as the women go, and we don't need to spend a ton of time on this. Literally, as you're asking this, the buzzer is sounding. Uh, they, they just lost by nine to UConn, which was probably one of their best performances of the year, which is wild. It's their last regular season game, they just lost by nine to UConn. That's and, tough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, go ahead. I just want to know. I guess it was this more was more of a question for you specifically. Just kind of wanted your opinion on kind of where that program goes from here. I guess. Yeah, I'll, I would. I would say I do have inside well, information well, on sure. this. A, and I uh, do think you will see a major change happen here very shortly. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. Well, then that that basically answers. You know, as far as what happens in the future, then Johnny. I mean, that's that's pretty much your answer then. Yep. Pretty well. Sorry, Rick. I wasn't trying to count you out or anything. It just seems like Paul's also nope. the one talking about it on the board, so I figured he would know. Yeah. But it sounds like you've got I, the info. I, Thanks that that's what had to happen, but. Thanks for the answer. Yeah, it was it was a tough season. I mean, just real quick. I mean, they they had two of the players that they were going to count on for a lot of their production this year. Never even saw the court. It just had injuries before the season, and uh, they they were injury riddled the whole year. I mean, it, it was a really really tough season for them. I and it's like what I said on the board when somebody asked me what what improvement looked like. Like, could they win four games in the Big East? Sure, but is that improvement? I don't know. Um, so that's it's it's all relative, but Rick's answer there gives you a lot more of uh, a lot more clarity. Yep. Thanks, guys. Always love the podcast. I'm glad you guys do yep. it. Got it. Thanks, Johnny. All right, let's go to uh, Paula here. We're gonna take the calls here until everybody's gone. Paula, you're Hi. always a great you're always a great <laughs> great call. So how are you tonight? Good. How are you? Um, so follow up question to that, and uh, I appreciate Xavier Nation. Uh, speaking up about the girls program as much as we do the men's program. Um, so I have some friends who are on uh, the coaching side in the women's basketball D one world. And one of the issues I hear about with the Xavier job is um, the pay is might not be what it needs to be um, if you're in a, in a, in a big East position. So um and Rick, I don't know how much you can speak to this, but has the board given permission to Greg to, you know, open the purse strings a little bit um, for the next Xavier hire as they did with Sean this year? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question, to be honest with you. And I think there is a little bit of reality that has to come into play. Here, right. Right. Like Xavier is a small school. They can probably only afford to support one athletics program at the highest level so and i know you're not saying that women's basketball should necessarily be at the highest level Correct. but it'd be better if they could be more competitive i just don't know enough about the financial situation of women's basketball certainly within the Big East and at xavier specifically to get into like can they come up to where they need to be are they close to being that already i i really don't know the answer to that so it's probably i probably can't offer you much real information other than just saying my guess is it's probably not a huge priority for the people making those decisions just because there's there's other budget issues and they right, are right. probably much more concerned with how they get Sean Miller up to where right. they need to get him. Right, right. But I, I think, too, one of the things that about the Miller hire was they, they finally 
stepped up money wise because um, my personal belief is one of the reasons that Chris Mack left and he will never admit this publicly is that he felt like he was probably way underpaid um, for where he had taken Xavier's program and what he was making. So um, just my personal opinion on that. Well, I mean, um, I think every coach that has left Xavier has left for that correct. reason more correct. than anything else is because you can make life-changing money. Right. And a lot of yeah. people would tell you, hey, two and a half million is life-changing money. And I'd agree with that. But uh, when you can go from two and a half to five in the same year or uh, six in a year or whatever uh, right. Chris Mack was making by the end of his contract with Louisville, that is a completely different scenario that we're talking about. So right. every coach previously has left because of money. Now, Sean is still not being paid probably what he deserves or what the a coach at the top of the Big East Conference would command. Right. So I think Xavier is still trying to figure out how to bump that up a little bit more, but they're also dealing with some financial situations of their own that they've, they've got to figure out. Yes. Um, so another uh, point I want to bring up is about um, the wonderful net and how it was supposed to improve the RPI, but, it, so one of the things that I kind of astounded me is um, if we look up I-71, um, Ohio State is just having a, a miserable year. Um, and when they played Penn State last Thursday, um, at the time they were 3-13 and 13 in the Big Ten. I believe now they're 4-14 four and because they lost to Penn State, beat Illinois. But when Penn State won last Thursday night – that was a quad one win at a school that was three and 13 in conference because Ohio state was in the top 75 in the net. What is Ohio state doing being in the top 75 of the net that that was a quad one win? Like, like well, what are we doing here? This is what, and that's exactly what the net was designed to do is to give you credit for playing in a more difficult conference and play like, you know, we can, we can say the same thing about the big 12, where it's like, it's insane that all these teams are so highly ranked and everything else. But also, I mean, who's the worst team in the Big 12 right now? If you look at the conference, it's Oklahoma at four and 12. I mean, Oklahoma just won at Iowa State, which is a top 25 team. Oklahoma won, you know, they've won some big games this year. So it's like, I, I do think you deserve credit for, even if a team doesn't have a good record, you deserve credit for beating a quality team that is just, has a bad record by virtue of playing in a really difficult conference. The problem is that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as you just continue to pile more and more high major right. teams into these super conferences. And we get up to 16 or 20 teams in a conference like they're talking about. Well, then I feel like they, they're just going to shut everybody else out. It's just going to be them playing for their own championship. Correct. It gives, there's no incentive for a power five school to play a mid-major school ever again. And if they move the NCAA tournament to 90 games, it's just going to be every power of five school that, that, Paul, you know, I'll, Paul, I'll save you. I'll, say, I'll 500, save you the, barely 500. I'll save you the time there. That's not happening anytime soon. Right. Yeah. Right. It may but, down I mean, the line. There but, were reports of that coming yeah. out. Right. But, but even now, but even now it's 68, yeah. right? We've got, I mean, Paul, you kind of tweeted this out this last week and I, inwardly rolled my eyes not at you but what you said like Kentucky wins oh now all of a sudden you know Kentucky's in and I thought to myself does it they really deserve to be in you know um look at our buddy Pat Kelsey at the College of Charleston does he have to win his conference tournament to be in 
And I think they're 28 and three or something like that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. They um, probably do. I mean, just to put it in perspective, like yeah. UK is five spots higher than Xavier in the net. They're, they're 20th. <laughs> Xavier's 25th. So that's just kind of puts into perspective yeah. what, what we're doing here. But, but I do have to ask, like, I mean, obviously Charleston lost to Drexel and Hofstra this year. Right. They play a bunch of right. teams that are ranked 320th and 330th in their conference. So, I mean, if they were to come in the Big East, they would obviously have an under 500 record. They'd maybe be lucky to win a few games all year. But, so how do you how do you make that equal? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. we can't just give well, Char- College of Charleston credit because they have a great record when they really haven't played all year. I mean, their only big win is, I mean, who? Kent State? Kent State's their back, biggest win? It goes, it goes back to what I said, Rick. There's no incentive for a power five school to play a mid-major because it does nothing for their, you know, it hurts them more than it helps them. And and the little guy can't get any of these schools to play them. It it, it makes it worse. Yeah, that is true. Now there are some people and Mario Mercurio was, I think one of them who came out in support of saying that if the schools had more flexibility, I mean, there are more at large bids available. You went up to like 90 something and it meant more of those teams with a questionable record, what you could have a blemish or two would get in. Mario thought that would give some of the high majors more flexibility in their scheduling where they might be more likely to go schedule a game like that. I don't necessarily agree with Mario, yeah, I, but he certainly knows more about it than I do. I think it's the opposite because you see it at 68 right now. And it's just, you know, you, 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 you load up on buy games in the beginning, you get, you, you play in other conferences, power five, uh, and out of conference, and then you play in conference and that, that gets your net rating. You need to be at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, look at the end of the day, I still think this is better than the RPI. I hated the RPI. I think it was a horrible way of measuring teams, but this isn't perfect either. And I see the exact same issues that you're seeing develop. And well, I'm concerned about that as well. Yeah. yeah, it is better than the RPI because at least Syracuse now will go out of New York State to play a non-conference game. <laughs> Where before, that didn't, they the, the only place they would go to that wasn't the Carrier Dome uh, before the R was was Madison Square Garden. That, that sounds like a, a personal issue that you have here going on. You, not a Syracuse person. It huh? is. It is. Okay. But, okay. But correct. Paula, thank you as always. You always have uh, thought-provoking calls. I appreciate that. All right, let's go to uh, Ryan here. Oh wait, you know we got to do this. Actually, it is they are playing Butler this week. We got to do this. Well, first of all, I can't believe you're disrespecting our guy Yuli is here. I can't believe you're disrespecting Yuli. You called in at eight oh two. It's it's an hour and six minutes since you have been in the in the waiting room. What what do you got? Well, first of all, I can't di- believe you're disrespecting someone who's over 100 years old. That blows my mind. I mean, what what did she do to Xavier basketball? She didn't knock you off the tournament in the Cinderella run. That, ugh, ugh. I can't believe she survived COVID. Yeah, that's why you should respect her. She survived a lot. She probably went through World War One and Two. Yuli, you're getting booed off the stage here with the thumbs downs. What do you have for well, I'm only getting booed because I'm a Butler fan. That's expected on the Xavier Spaces. So so I, I just want to know if Fremantle is actually going to play because that will either be a 25-point blowout for Xavier or a closer game. Yeah, 
I don't know. I think you've, you've been listening this whole time. I think that's anybody's best guess, but my guess would probably be you don't see a ton of them on Saturday, but I don't have any anything inside that Rick hasn't already shared. And I have another question. So five, if five Big East teams make the tournament and teams are bound, one team is going to be on the same side of the bracket as one other Big East team, who's one team you don't want in your quadrant? Ooh. You know, that's a good question. Rick, what do you think? I I would probably say Creighton just because they're not a great matchup if you're Xavier. I think it's Creighton. Yeah, I mean, they're the best defensive team in the Big East, and they give Xavier matchup problems on all yeah. So I would I would definitely say Creighton. Okay. All right, Yuli. Thank you. You got it. One, one last call for anything, and then we'll we'll break down the last two and call it a day. Oh, Ryan. Ryan was in here, and then he uh, and then he was out. Let's see if we can connect to Ryan this time. Paul, can you hear me? We got you now, Ryan. Go ahead. Well, first off, I just want to say uh, shout out Rick for mentioning Max. Max is the, one of the greatest uh, places to have a post game, a beer after NKU game. But no, um, really, what I want to go into is one. I wanted to thank Jerome Hunter Fan Club. Um, he has now found me uh, somebody gets season tickets with next year, turning an Ohio State fan to a Xavier fan almost immediately uh, because over the last two weeks, he's texted me our Lord and Savior Jerome Hunter about 50 times. So shout out to you <laughs> because when he heard it the one time, he literally could not stop laughing. So um, my real question is going into it, um, I actually was hanging out with a bunch of UC fans this weekend. really don't know why I did that, but every single one of them told me that they think X is due for a run. And why, my question is, are you guys hearing from outside teams? And what's the outside look from other, um, organ, other colleges and other fan bases on kind of what X is good, potential is going to be this year? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that, Ryan, because I think a lot of times you get so much into the echo chamber and you hear the same takes over and over because everybody's a fan of one team and you see the same things. And, you know, I I, I listen every day going into work, coming home from work. All, I, all I'm ever listening to is, is college basketball podcasts. And I like hearing the national narrative about these Xavier teams one way or the other and, and kind of what those outside perspectives are so that you're not always just hearing the same regurgitated thoughts over and over. And, I, you know... A lot of times, and somebody mentioned this on the message board the other day, where, you know, you look at and I run, I love running, the, you know, all the all the simulators and getting in the lab and doing all those things I joke about with the Big East tournament. But, you know, you say, what's the best matchup for Xavier? And at the same time, the, the other hand of it, you know, there's a lot of these teams that are looking at Xavier and going, you know, Seton Hall, they're going, man, wait, we don't want to have to play Xavier on Thursday night. You know, Providence, oh, well, you know, I don't know. They're not a great matchup for us. So, from that perspective, you, you get a little nervous and in, in looking at it because you follow the team as closely as you do. You know the ins and outs. You know who's hurt. You know who's tired, who's not tired, who's playing well, who's not playing well. But when you step back and look at it from 30,000 feet, I think there are a lot of teams around the country that are going to be in the same region as Xavier, and they're going to see a Xavier team that's a protected seed. They're going to see Sean Miller on the sideline, and they're going to go, oh, man, Really? Yeah, no, I, I, that's what I, I thought. I just didn't know if, yeah, you kind of got that same vibe as well. And that's what getting me really excited. I know the other night when I called, I was pretty down. I was, I apologize about that. But 
Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I do, I do believe that, and I've already. Uh, I want to instead of Columbus, I want to go to Orlando because we play well in Orlando. So I'm kind of ready, ready to go down there. So thought the Ooh. same thing, Ryan. I That's a pretty good point. Thing. I thought the same thing when I was looking at it. I said, you know what? They've always played well in the first weekend in Orlando. How about how about we head down there? Well, first weekend. What about the exempt event, the Advocare Invitational, when they beat Dayton by 150 <laughs> points in the finals? That's right. With That's the Big East, didn't they do that two, uh, quarter three set. years? Didn't they play well and didn't they go down there and win it twice, or was that was that somewhere else? I I want to say yes. I don't know. I could it all blends your, together your at this stands. point. Point stands. Yeah. yeah. I just know they beat Dayton badly in Orlando. Oh, that was fantastic. Time. Fantastic. And all yeah. last thing, I, I I've actually been telling a lot of uh, friends and family and whatnot about your take on how Butler's the new Dayton. And Yuli, I'm sorry. That's just what it is. I'm sorry, buddy. But uh, we we just <laughs> we just don't care much about Butler, really. But yeah, appreciate you guys doing this. Uh, let's go Muskies. All right, Ryan. We'll see you at Max. Thanks, Ryan. All right, Reed, you're the last one. You're the last caller, Reed. I know he's got a good connection. Go ahead, Reed. <laughs> I know he's got a How's good connection. <laughs> I know. I know. This good. Congrats on the connection. Yeah, I do. I have good stuff here in Hamilton. We've, we've got good connection. We've got good internet down here. So, guys, I'm getting a bunch of Jerome fan club. Um, so this isn't so much about Xavier, but I just wanted, you know, we're bigger college basketball fans. So I just wanted to, to grab your guys' ear because you guys are the experts in the space about some, some coaching vacancies and, and where I could see some coaches going. And Paul, I work with you every day. And obviously yeah. I saw you, you've talked a lot about Rick Patino. So, yes. and this is a, a grand scheme. So, so breathe me through this. Rick Petito, you've said, has one good run left in him. So I'm looking at a college basketball team that needs a good run. He would fit really good at Louisville. So you send him him down to Louisville. Chris Holtman gets fired from Ohio State. Everyone sees that from a mile away. Sean Miller takes the Ohio State job. After Thad Mata coaches a few years at Butler, Chris Holtman takes over back at Butler. So at this point, you've got Chris Holtman at Butler – um, Sean Miller at Ohio State, he gets in trouble. And when Sean Miller leaves Xavier for Ohio State, Chris Mack takes over the job. So after Sean Miller gets in trouble at Ohio State, Chris Mack follows him to Ohio State. No, even better, Rick Patino. He follows Rick Patino at Louisville. Mm. What do you think about that? Where did this go wrong? I think it's just no, that that seems like logical, honestly. I don't. I can't even. That doesn't even seem like a wild take to me. That seems like that's just what's going to happen. I see that it's very popular in the space. So, yeah, that's doing well, Reed. I just wanted to to come in and, I mean, (laughs) 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 all right, guys. See you. Thanks for breathing Uh, in my stupidity. See ya. uh, ya, Thanks, Reed. See you, Reed. I did invite Jerome Hunter fan club in just because he was losing his mind that whole time, and I don't know if he had something he wanted to say. Jerome, first and foremost, all thanks and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jerome Hunter. Uh, amen, first of all. And how about people are now, like, texting each this other? This is huge. This is huge. Big time. Hey, you, know, hey, this, this <laughs> you got a shout-out on the broadcast from Johnny Fanta. Yeah, how about John Fanta shouting you out? I forgot all about that. That's a big time. That's a big time. I don't have much. I don't have. I don't have much to say. I'm just really tired of these bozos getting in here thinking, talking their crap, thinking they know stuff. We got Yuli over here. Who I was, you know, I was so for uh, sister, whatever her stupid name is. Now, now that I know Yuli's on her side, I hate her. Um, 
I'll hear an ATWL hockey stick. You already know what it is. Um, and then he's also making fun of tornadoes. Like, I don't know who this kid is. Um, we got this Reed mouse boy looking like a real mouse with this talk. Like, I'm so tired of this. Xavier is about to go beat Providence before the roof collapses on the Wednesday. We're going to go absolutely cream butler on Saturday. We're going to run through the Big East tourney, and we're going all the way to the night championship. That's all I got to say. Let's go whack. That's all we need. Thank you, Drew. Turn me the f- up. Let's go. <laughs> all right. All right, Paul. I think that's everything. I mean, do you, I, anything, anything more you want to say about uh, the games this week, Rick, or you think we, we've talked enough? What's your, what's your prediction for them? What do you think X does here? I think they go 2-0 to finish off the season. I also think they go 2-0. I think they I think matchup is good. Uh, the Providence is a good matchup, and I think that Xavier is going to wax the floor with Butler on senior <laughs> night. I really do. I just can't see a scenario in which they lose that Butler game. <laughs> it's never happened like before. Vegas, it's legit. What's your over-under on that the, Butler game? Like spread yes. between the teams? What's your spread against against Butler if you're Xavier? You're Vegas. I'm Vegas. I'm gonna say eleven. I thought this. I told you, Lee. There's no way Xavier loses by wins by less than fifteen. There's no way. I I think it's probably gonna be even close. I mean, Ken Palm has it at fourteen, and it's usually pretty close. So I'm gonna say thirteen and a half. Real um, that yeah. big? Yeah. Right I guess. Now, I mean, maybe. Maybe. Ken, Palm, Ken Palm has it 80 to 66 right now, and they're usually within about a half a point. What do we think the spread will be for the Providence game? Providence oh. minus two? Oh, two minus probably. one and a half? Probably plus two. Yeah. That one's tough. I yeah. have no gauge on that, but I, I know against Butler, it's it's Xavier plus 15 and a half. E- or Xavier minus 15 and a half. Easy. Easy money, and I'm not a gambler, but but Paul, I know your your show is fantastic. That's one that that Paul's pick should be all over. You know, Paul's pick was high. I know Paul's pick one sporting. I love it. I'm I'm happy for you because I remember when you first started the podcast, it was a tough time for Paul's pick. Paul's picks had a horrific. (laughs) It was brutal. Just a horrific first week, and then it's been about 500. Well, I hate it because I was like a day or two behind, so I would like listen to your Paul's pick, knowing what had happened. I was like, oh. God, Paul's like confidently picking some team that I knew lost by 16. I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> well, see, I, I, I totally disagree with both of you. The 500 stuff is no good for anyone. When you were bad at the beginning, it was yeah. great. You just yeah. picked what the opposite Fade of what Paul was picking every day, and you were winning money. Fade. Doing no. the 500 stuff is not good. No, the, la- the last thing you want to be in gambling is, is 500. Right. You either want to be 55, 56%, or you want to be at like 40%. When you go 500, yeah. I mean, that's just that's just Never be a Jeff but, Fisher, Paul, and, and you're good at that. No. You're either on fire or you're terrible. That's great. Yeah, I'm streaky. I'm streaky. Some, that's good, right. though. That is great. When you're on a hot streak, follow you. When you're not, you fade, fade it. And, I, I mean, like, I'm I'm fine with that. I'd much rather have a, a betting content person who is terrible at making picks that I listen yes. to. Yeah. It's way easier to just bet against them every day. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying that Xavier goes 2-0 this week. I've got two and zero. Cap, what are you saying? I'm gonna go. Ah, the, the the Providence game kills me. Two and zero. We ride. Two and zero. There we go. All right, there you All go. Right. Uh, download the Rebound Rundown podcast. Make sure you subscribe to that on any podcast platform. 
Also, subscribe to musketeerreport.com. Join the message board, the best Xavier community that there is on the internet. And and uh, I will say I will go live just like we've done for a lot of the uh, away games this year. I will go live after the immediately as soon as the buzzer is, has sounded against Providence. I'll go live for a Twitter Spaces. Uh, either way, win or lose. Appreciate y'all bearing with me on Friday. We uh, we had done a lot of shows last week, so we. Uh, didn't do one on Friday, but uh, we will do one again. Rick, uh, you know, I don't know what your schedule is. I know you got the game on Thursday night, but um, I'll go live right after the game on Wednesday. We can all talk about it. And then, Rick, best of luck to your north. 7 o'clock, Truist Arena, Thursday night. Hey, if you want to come out and see some good basketball locally, just I will be there. I will buy be there. your best NKU shirt that you find at the local Meyer and come on over to the arena because we need some fans to fill that place up. I will be there. Maybe Baum will be there too. That'd be great. All right. Thank you, guys. Will, uh, thanks to everybody for listening. This has been the Musketeer Report podcast, and uh, we'll see you for another uh, yeah podcast, let's say, next Monday, previewing the uh, Big East Tournament. All right. That's right.